This is All the Genders, a podcast where we talk about gender identity and queerness with marvelous people sharing their lived experience. If you're a trans or non-binary person, close to someone who is, exploring your gender, an ally, or even if you just heard this playing on a cell phone you found in the park among the wood chips underneath the monkey bars, this (laughs) podcast is for you. Because gender identity is everybody's business, and I'm glad you're here. You can hear new episodes every other Monday through your favorite podcast source or online at allthegenders.com. Also, keep an eye out for our new queer science fiction mystery serial podcast, The Scent of Gravity, launching in early 2023 this year and online at scentofgravity.com. I'm Quinn, she, her, or they, them. I'm non-binary and bi-gender. Today I'm female, other days I'm male. Our guest today is director, writer, and educator Rudy Ramirez. They, them. Hi, Rudy. Hi, Quinn. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. To start us off, can you share some words and phrases that describe you, your identity, who you are, and what you do in the world, your joys, what's important to you? Gosh, that's a lot. I, I think I could do that. Um, so, um, some, I think the words that describe my identity, you know, I identify as a queer person. Um, I offer my gender as non-binary, which... I think it means different things at different times and has meant different things at different points in my life. Um, and uh, I prefer they, them pronouns. Um, I, but I also, um, I often present uh, very seemingly male. And so I am very forgiving about he, him. Um, and I am, uh, the word keeps changing, <laughs> but um, I identify as Latinx or Latine, um, depending on, um, I, I think also like whichever word I'm feeling the preference for at the time and how people are greeting me. Um, and that's, and specifically Mexican American, uh, that's a very big part of my identity. And, um, I also am a fat person, uh, and, uh, that's, which is in some ways, I think what, uh, brought me to folks attention today. Um, I'm a theater director, uh, primarily, and it's, Take me a long time to fully claim that uh, as an identity mm. as well, um, because uh, I think I, for a long time, I thought, well, I'll never make a living as an artist. And then for a long time, I worked as a director, but primarily earned money through other ways. And now I'm really kind of starting on this journey to say that this is this is it. This is what I'm doing. And so um, I've, I've had a lot of growth with that this year, which has been really wonderful. Um, but I'm also an all-around theater artist. Um, I have acted, I have uh, written works, I've devised a lot of works. Um, that That's definitely something I really enjoy doing, creating pieces from scratch with other artists. Um, and I've costumed a couple of things as well in my time. Um, although who knows how well I did it. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I think that, that theater is the passion. It's definitely the thing that you know, the, the very first time in college when I saw an actor I directed go on stage and get her first laugh, it was sort of, you know, the best birthday present you could ever receive times a million. And it's mm. something that I just really um, 
again, for a long time, I was saying, well, I, I, I can't possibly, because uh, certainly we're, we're never allowed to get joy out of labor. Um, and so, um, and, or think of something joyful as labor for that matter. And so, um, but I, it's still something that I love so much. Um, I have uh, actually submitted to a festival, my first uh, musical that I wrote, wow. um, which is, is very, very daunting. It's about Emma Goldman, who's a big uh, hero of mine. Um, you know, my, my queerness is, I think, again, thinking about the things that bring me joy, you know, I'm, I've identified for a long time as a radical queer, as somebody who, you know, um, has found real community with other radical queers. Um, and uh, specifically, I think those who sort of like branched off from like the radical fairy traditions into ones that are much more inclusive of lots of different gender identities um, and a lot more also conscious about um, race and other identity intersections. And um, I love cooking. I love, uh, I, I was definitely a powered, uh, a pandemic sourdough baker. <laughs> um, and um, I am uh, polyamorous. I'm in a wonderful relationship right now, which makes me very joyful. Congratulations. And um and I recently, in the past like year and a half, um, was was thoroughly introduced into the world of D and D, um, and I'm now in two campaigns, and I'm loving. It's it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing for a theater person to do as an additional hobby because it's something that is nowhere near as demanding, but it still activates all those skill sets and is beautifully collaborative in that way. Mm-hmm. And improvisatory. Absolutely. What was life like for you while you were growing up and how did you understand yourself? Let's see, gosh, that's a lot of things. Um, there's a lot of thoughts that are coming in my head at once. Um, you know, growing, I, I think thinking about this as the All the Genders uh, podcast, you know, I I grew up, you know, never like, and there's actually, I was thinking about t- earlier today, this this quote from a professor who I had, uh, Dr. Linda Hart. And she said this thing in class once where she said, we all fight to claim our gender, but not all of us win. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she said that, I like, I mean, like, I mean, in my head, I was like, oh, I lost. I lost that fight at some point. Because um, I think that, and I think in, in many ways, it's been the past few years that have sort of made me realize like the fight isn't over. Like as long as you're around, the fight isn't over. Um, but I think that I grew up with, you know, very liberal parents, you know, I, with my mother uh, was a political activist in the democratic party, you know, and, um, and as well as a Mexican civil rights a- activist, particularly in education. Um, and you know, so I never, I never grew up with any understanding of like queer people as being bad or wrong, but I did also have, you know, a, you know, pretty typical, you know, Mexican father who very much believed in, you know, um, his sons being manly. And so there was a lot that I had to hide in terms of the things that brought me joy, the, you know, loving, loving pink things, loving, um girl toys what like wishing that I could have dresses and have those beautiful things and mm-hmm. um and again not necessarily 
um, saying, I am a girl, I am a woman, but saying that the feeling of, of wanting to be both, of wanting to be, you know, flexible between these identities. And, and, and I think that if, if someone asked me to choose at some point when I was a kid, I would have said, oh, if I can choose, I will pick girl. Um, and, but I, I didn't necessarily have the language to be able to say, well, I'm neither of these things and I'm both of these things. And so, um, so, uh, but I also grew up, you know, I was, uh, I was a kid from a very liberal family growing up in conservative South Texas, um, which often, um, but I, I, you know, I had very strong convictions and I, you know, one of my favorite shows when I was a kid was Designing Women, which, you know, has, uh, you know, Dixie Carter as Julia Sugarbaker giving those amazing monologues in favor of liberal politics um, and progressive politics. And so um, I very much stood up for myself and my beliefs a lot. Um, and, you know, and then like around about eight years old, I started gaining uh, a good bit of weight and, um, and fat became a big part of my identity mm-hmm. and which was very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, and I, and I grew up with a, I, I think one of the things that really prepared me well for, as, as I started journeying into queerness was growing up with a strong sense of, of racial and ethnic identity as a Mexican American. Um, you know, that was something that I'd, I'd already experienced a certain kind of othering I'd already experienced as well, you know, being, um, you know, shifted, like, you know, it's, it's interesting because, because I think that, you know, the strange ways in which we formulate race in America, you know, Latina, Latinx people are often in this sort of weird middle ground, which mm-hmm. um, I, I think that I, I apparently am in so many different uh, capacities, apparently like occupying weird middle grounds. And so, uh, and I think that's part of it. And so like um, my mother, you know, she's, she always grew up saying, you know, I was on one side of the border, we were white and on one side of the border, we were brown. And, um, and so, um Whereas I think when my dad's of the family, they were much more indigenous, much more, um, you know, read as being, you know, a racialized other mm-hmm. in the United States. And, and I was a very, I was an only child on my, at least for my mother. My dad had a couple of much older kids. Um, and so I, I loved, you know, I, I lived in books, you know, I lived um, particularly any kind of uh, fantasy novel of any kind, you know, mm-hmm. um, like starting out, I remember the first big book I ever read was Alice in Wonderland and I just loved it so much. And, uh, and so there was a lot of, um, a lot of those things growing up sort of living in these imaginary worlds was where I always wanted to be. At what point did you kind of start coming out to yourself as something? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because it's, it's such a, a series of phases. Um, cause mm. I, I this as our language expands and as we find the words to actually describe ourselves, you know, um, uh, so when I was, there was always this sense of like, what, what I'm weird and different. Mm. Um, and it was, it was, I, I had very strong, 
you know, crushes on and attachments to girls for a long time. But then sort of around about the age of 15, I started like, you know, my sexual attraction was very much geared towards, towards men. Um, and one where like, and I was, and even, again, even though I'd grown up never thinking of it as being wrong, I still knew it was like dangerous. I still knew it was, it was something that you didn't want for yourself. So I really like, you know, I tried, I was like trying to like do ridiculous things to try and like fix myself. And then eventually um, I thought, well, maybe I'm bisexual. Um, And then I thought then as I started actually like having experiences, I really realized that it was only like more male bodies that turned me on at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got to college, you know, that was, it was, this was 1998 when I got to college and it was the first time I ever heard the word transgender was there. Mm-hmm. They were, they were at that point talking about changing from the LGBA to the LGBTA, you know, um, and and I was so fascinated and I, it's funny, I, there's another podcast I started listening to called Tales from the Closet and the, the host is um, trans non-binary and uh, they were talking sort of about the same thing about like, you know, you, you start, you start by looking into, you know, trans identity and trans experience and, and you're just like, I just find it interesting. Like that's the first <laughs> thing that you say and, and that, and this kind of like, oh, I just, I, you know, like I just, and it was this sort of this delving into this fascination and particularly the idea like the amazing ability to claim yourself um, that was so powerful and um as as a director um i found the play hidden agenda by kate bornstein and so i got so i was like oh i and, and i worked in college with an experimental theater company and I pitched it and we decided to do it as a play. And again, the professor, Dr. Linda Hart, you know, she actually said, Oh, I know Kate, I can invite Kate to come see the show. And so Kate came to see our production of hidden agenda and spoke wow. to us about it. And uh, she said, I will, I will never forget. She gave me the most amazing compliment afterwards. She said, you're going places. And one day you're going to look back and realize this is a very flawed play, but you danced over the flaws. You covered my ass. And uh, which is which was wonderful. And so and around that time, you know, I really I think that queer like queer as a word was really coming into its own in terms of 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 meaning non-binary of saying that we we, we reject the idea of binary gender. Um, and so that was a very important word for me. Um, but I didn't necessarily mark my gender as being non-binary and i Mm -hmm. think that it certainly is still happening today in certain you know in various communities this this an idea that like that to identify as trans or to break with your cisgenderness you know in one way or the other requires a certain like a certain level of commitment or steps like i think about like (laughs) the idea of like it was really only like i i think to me it was just like oh i i on the one hand i feel like i i, I remember this this was a moment that i had at a radical queer gathering with a friend of mine who is who is trans uh trans masculine and he said rudy what what do you think about your gender and 
I remember I said, you know, I, man, it's something I think about it a lot. And there are times and I, I really hope you don't like I, I really hope this isn't a, a bad thing to say, but I think to myself, I think I'd be trans if I just wasn't so lazy. <laughs> and that was that was the reaction big huge giant laugh and and then, then it's, yeah, it's a lot of work I'm like I know I know it's a lot of work and so it's and and it was um it was really only when I became a high school teacher in my mid-30s and watching them and just how much more advanced mm. they are than I was at that age and the conversations they're having with particularly the trans teachers who we had in our school um made me you know like realize that you know i that you know i don't have to justify my gender identity mm -hmm. i don't have to um that that it is my own and something that you know doesn't have to be defined by any particular pain or any particular story or any particular um, set of rules or standards that someone else set. Um, you know, I think that, you know, and and to to say that that this is who I am doesn't mean that like I have to then change what I'm doing every day necessarily. Yeah. It's just that I I am putting I, I am defining my own label for what this thing that I am presenting is. Yes. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about fatness and fat phobia. And I feel like this is a subject that some people just don't want to discuss. And then other people are scared to discuss, and I might include myself in this, uh, because they don't want to offend anybody because they're sure. a, just like gender, I think a lot of people hold back because they're like, oh, I don't want to say anything wrong, so I'll say nothing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, how would you like for people to understand fatness? Oh, God, the questions keep getting harder. Uh, <laughs> so I think that, how do I want people to understand fatness? I think I want people to understand fatness as a way that a body exists in the world that is no more or less valid than any other. Mm. And it's interesting because I think that being a fat person, you're always thinking about, it's again, that thought about justification, but in a different way. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that, you know, we talk about what we call the good fatty. The good fatty is the, is the one who is always on a diet, always trying to lose weight, always exercising, always. Right. And this idea that you can be fat as long as you demonstrate that you are trying to not be. And, <sighs> you're, and at which point your story is, oh, how sad that you are, trying and failing to not be fat but we see you trying and that's what's important you know um and um and then there's like kind of the 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 very sort of you know high high body positivity like i you know i'm fat and i don't care and 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 i am beautiful and i am all these things and and which 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 is wonderful but also sometimes like so hard to live up to you know it's so yes. hard to to embody every day Especially um, when you get so much static. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so much. I mean, I think that, you know, like I, I really love those folks who are able to do that and do that publicly, but it's like, it's a thing where, you know, every, 
every food choice is is weight is is weighted um and you know it's this idea of like eating healthy versus eating for pleasure and and doing that in public or not and it's and it's all these things and that like that uh you know i i try to let go of and i want to let go of but it's 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 things like um you know, I, I, I took up aerials, um, a few years ago, uh, like, uh, I do Lyra, um, cause I, I directed for an aerial circus company, um, and did a couple of shows with them and I wanted to start doing it so I could learn the terminology and learn what it felt like to be up there, you know, and, and it's the only workout in my entire life that's never bored me. Mm. Um, and I love posting pictures because I love being able to say like, and videos because I was saying like, this is, you know, I'm not doing this to lose weight. Um, I am doing this because it's fun and interesting. And I believe that lots of other fat people can do this. And there's actually like, mm. um, you know, a, a, an amazing uh, person here in Austin who is a, a fat burlesque performer and aerialist. And she's one uh, best, uh, left her in Austin for like eight years running her name is Ginger Snaps and she's started like you know uh fat aerial classes um that's sort of about like saying like those of us who have fat bodies you know we do have different considerations to take in um but there is also that like thing of you know well on the one hand this can also play into the good fatty mentality of like look I'm exercising look I did it mm. you know um so it's 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 there's there's all these double-edged swords around and I think that you know, I want people to understand that that fatness is is, you know, that I it's it's very I mean, like so many things that is spectrumy, and you know, I think that at a certain point, it truly becomes part of your identity. Mm. You know, it truly becomes a way of of understanding yourself in the world in ways that are that echo gender, that echo race, that echo sexuality. Um, because you face a certain set of prejudices um, that you overcome and or don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, but that at the same time, that, that, that as with so many of those other categories, what is negative comes from what society says, not because it is true. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's so much research out there about how you know yo-yo dieting is far more unhealthy for you than um actually just being fat there's so much mm-hmm. out there that says that that this narrative we've had that fat equals unhealthy is simply not true um and and those sorts of and like that that's the case and that also there are plenty of people out there who find fat beautiful and sexy and attractive. Mm. Um, and so, and that they're, and, you know, I always say like, you know, if uh, someone says, oh, I only date people with washboard abs, you know, you might think that they're kind of a shallow asshole. But if somebody says, oh, well, I'm really only attracted to people with like big, like, you know, fat bellies, it's like, oh, that's a fetish. That's a fetish, <laughs> you know? And, and then it's like, that's, yeah. You know, like, why are we in the world where one kind of body is okay to be attracted to and the other kind of body is a fetish? Um, and so, 
there's there's so much that that, that I think that there it, that I I think I want people to understand that no fat person ever has to choose to not be fat or choose to try to not be fat mm-hmm. that they can be fat and love their body as it is and that if they don't like it they should keep that opinion to themselves <laughs> that seems to me to have so many echoes with transness that it's so easy to internalize all of the talk about gender that we hear all the casual gender policing from day to day and it just as you talk about this it just seems like so many parallels that one of the struggles for me every day is just clearing my head out of all the nonsense Mm -hmm. that people have put into it Mm -hmm. yeah um i'm a i'm a big uh natalie win contrapoints fan myself oh yes and um and her her video essay on beauty i thought was so powerful for me because i think it it's it is absolutely true of me that i think part of my presentation particularly in the day-to-day mm-hmm. is is sort of based is it leans more toward the masculine in part because like i think that part of our ideals about femininity are also about ideals of white Western standards of beauty that are also thin standards. You know, there's, there's so many times when I'm like, Oh, I would love to, to find, um, you know, ways of, of, of dressing that are more feminine, that are more, you know, gender fluid and gender fucky. Um, But, uh, but I feel embarrassed about, putting that on while being fat, you know, and, and, and so like, and actually there's this amazing um, Dungeons and Dragons series called Dimension 20. And they recently did a a series where they, um, uh, it was, it was called the Court of Fae and Flowers. And um, it was set in the, the, it was sort of a Jane Austen Regency romance Dungeons and Dragons series set among the fairies which was a beautiful way of creating a very queer space. Um, and this is a spoiler, so spoiler alert for those uh, who are interested, but um, one of the characters turns out to be a non-binary, very, uh, like, quite often femme-dressed owl bear, um, which is, a you know, a Dungeons & Dragons monster. That's like, and 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 I, I wept, I cried when, like, they showed the image of, of this character and when this character presented themselves as this is my true form, as being, like, like an owlbear in a Regency dress covered in peonies. And I'm just like, that's me. That's me right there. I am an owlbear, like, in a Regency dress covered in peonies. I am. Um, and it was, it was, but it was really just like, wow, there's so few representations I see mm-hmm. of of this particular confluence of things of saying like oh like non-binary and also fat and also big and also all these things like that and so um I think that that you know there's there's parallels and echoes in no small part because there's all these overlaps and intersections that sounds fascinating I'm going to link to that on the episode page Nice. I want to mention this essay that you wrote on Facebook recently that was just 
marvelous and a lot of people seem to connect with it. And it was about the whale. And this is for anyone who doesn't know, it's a movie uh, in which Brendan Fraser puts on a fat suit and portrays a 600 pound gay man. I want to ask you about it. One of the lines that struck me in your essay was when you said, when I watched the whale, I never thought this is what it's like. I thought, is that what you think this is like? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned a couple of other shows that kind of get much more to the heart of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I will say I've not seen the film of the whale, but I've seen the play it was based on. Right. I, I, I have no desire to see the film. Um, seeing the play was hard enough. Um, and so, and, and I think that, you know, so it's interesting because since I posted that, I found out that Samuel Hunter, the playwright, talked about how he wrote that um, as uh, after he was outed without his consent. <laughs> and after that, apparently gained a lot of weight, but then lost it again. And I was like, oh, this is an exorcism of that fear. This right. this this play is absolutely an exorcism of that, and the way that it's structured and the way that it's that that it offers this character to the audience, you know, I um I want to I'm, I'm thinking about writing a longer essay on it, where I also talk about Disney's Little Mermaid, which I loved growing up, mm -hmm. you know, because in that story, um, we go from the Hans Christian Andersen, um, she sacrifices her own body and her own self for love and is rewarded with an immortal soul one day. Um, and then that's, uh, Disney doesn't want an unhappy ending. So they create this character of, so they take the character of the sea witch, make her a villain, um, make her excessively queer and excessively fat and have the prince kill her by penetrating her with a hull of a ship. Oh, I forgot about that part. Yeah, and that was just like, I remember when I, uh, like, at a certain point, I, like, when I was in college looking at that and being like, oh, wow, that is like, like, they put all the transgression that Ariel does mm -hmm. and embodied it in Ursula and then killed her. Right. And it's like excessive body, excessive sexuality, excessive queerness. And I think that with the whale, um, this is a character who... We find out that he's gay because he is watching gay porn jerking off under rolls of fat and has a heart attack. Right. Um, and, uh, and then someone comes in to find him this way. And I'm like, that's stacking humiliation upon humiliation for a character. Right. And so we are, we are, and I'm like in that moment, it's that same sort of, you know, these transgressions of, fatness and of queerness like linked to one another and by the end of the play um we find out that this man has more than enough money if he wanted to like go to a i, I was supposed like a fat camp or something like that some sort of like weight loss facility if he wanted to have all, all the various things people do could easily do it um but he wants to give all that money to his daughter who he had when he was married to a woman and the plans with him wanting to stand up and go hug his daughter, but also implying that the act of doing so is going to kill him because of his excessive weight. <laughs> and that that killing of that, 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 if this character dies, she inherits and she gets this money. And I'm just like, 
So you're sacrificing the fat queer character for the daughter he had in a heterosexual marriage. That messaging feels pretty darn clear to me, Samuel Hunter. And <laughs> even if you don't know it's there, I certainly do. And it, and and again, that's why I said this isn't a play for fat queer people. This is a play for thin straight people. Right. You know, it's like you know, and versus something like I I, I pointed out a strange loop, which is an incredible piece written by a a, a fat black queer writer, Michael R. Jackson, and um, and. You know, in that one, there's this scene that um, this guy is, he's hes on the subway and this other man starts flirting with him. And I will say it is an all black cast, which is going to be important in a second. Um, and there, there has been, and, and this guy's like, oh, I think you're really cute. I think your, your voice is sexy, blah, blah, blah. And, and within, as, as soon as this is happening, like, oh, this is a fantasy. What we're seeing is a fantasy yeah. sequence that we're not being told is a fantasy sequence because I have had this fantasy. Hmm. And when uh, the person at the end says, oh, I don't exist. I'm just your fantasy. The entire audience gasped. And I really wanted to stand up and be just like, oh, y'all don't know. Um, and Or maybe a lot of them, I'm sure, have had similar fantasies themselves. But it was just like, to me, I'm like, I could clock that in an instant because I know this feeling and I know how utterly improbable it is for it to happen this way. And I was feeling very like gloaty and smug about it. And then the character said, also I'm white by the way. <sighs> and that's when I really, I was like, like that was a arrow shot right to the heart because <sighs> I was like, Oh my God. He's always white in my fantasies. Oh no. Like it was this this sort of moment of of realize what you've internalized. Realize what you've, you know, what what's how your fantasies are informed by the same world that hates you. <sighs> you know, and and that was such a powerful moment for me um to be like seen and called out and understood and you know, I'm I'm a big fan of the singer Tori Amos, and and the character talks about says like you know I love Tori Amos and Liz Fair and Joni Mitchell because like they get the title Strange Lupus from a Liz Fair song. Um, oh neat. Uh, he says because they as white women can be understood as beautiful for the feelings that I am not allowed to express <sighs> because black men like me are not allowed to feel this way, and I'm like. Oh god! Um, you know, it's like because again, I thought about the way that I, the, the masculinity that my father wanted from me and could never get, was decidedly like diametrically opposed to like you know me, you know, singing you know, tear in your hand at the top of my lungs um, in the car. <laughs> um, so, so the, and 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 you know, in that play also has one point he hooks up with this man who uses like uses racial slurs in their sexual encounter to a, like which he finds erotic and it's very good the main character is not usher the, the, usher the character's name is usher usher is humiliated by this but is also like i just need someone to touch me i just need some and i'm just like 
I haven't exactly been there, but I've been close. Mm. I've been, I've been, you know, I have, I have, I've definitely known what it's like to, you know, just want it so bad that you're willing to put up with a lot of, of messed up stuff. Um, and so, so with that, you know, and to be eroticized, you know, in ways that you don't want to be eroticized, mm. you know, and because um, that's like, I love being eroticized, don't get me wrong, but I, but in certain mm. ways, you know, and, and so to me that, that felt like, like, oh, you know me, you know, this story, you know, you like, I see this, whereas with the whale, the level of, of this sort of performance of grief and sacrifice and again, this sort of like utter humiliation this character goes through over and over again from so many people. I was like, this is not about, this is not about how this person feels. Mm -hmm. This is about how the audience feels about this person. And the story of fat people is, we don't care what you think about yourself. We care about what you think about, what we think about you already. So when Samuel Hunter says this is diametrically opposed to how fat people have been presented, I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about, Samuel <laughs> Hunter. Like, you wrote a really great play called The Bright New Boise that I really loved, and I'm yet to be impressed with what's happened afterwards. Um, and I, I say all that because, like, I definitely am, like, one degree of separation from Samuel Hunter. So at some point, I'm like, I'm going to meet this dude one day, and I really hope, well, I don't know, maybe, I, maybe I'll, I'll be like, I have some words to say to you, but also part of me is just like, just it'll be at some weird party and I'll be like, hey, nice to meet you. Anyway, bye. <laughs> right. Or maybe it'll be something like, he'll be like, oh, you really had some hard things to say about this mm -hmm. one work of mine, but you love this other work of mine. Yeah. So that must be actually, that's kind of a better compliment in a way. I mean, yeah, Bright New Boise is a beautiful play. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's, I really loved it. And, 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 you know, I think also because of that, I, I really didn't think about the whale. I was just like, oh, this is, this is dumb and gross, whatever. Um, but now, like, it's, it's in the conversation, like, Brendan Fraser might win an Oscar for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, it's funny because he's like, he's like, don't call it a fat suit. It's prosthetics. I'm like, it's a fat suit. Um, <laughs> it's just a fancy one. And so, um, and 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 it, it it was both because and the actor who played the role in Austin talked about it, and he talked about it in ways that I felt like indicated, at least in the article, that 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 he didn't really care that much about the conversations happening around should this be portrayed this way mm. the conversation we had afterwards i mean i think that he's really come around to realizing like yeah that's a really big blind spot on my part and i gotta do something about it and I, I i hope he will um so do not at him um we know we're talking about this i think in a good way um and he's apologized for like the for um certain phrases in that article that i was like oh my god really you wrote that um and so um and then but then also even just other people who you know in the theater world talk about how excited they were to see the whale and even people who said oh i hated the movie but the play was so brilliant and i'm just like i really want you to know that it wasn't i really want you to know that this that that or the ways that, that i didn't think it was and and 
what's been amazing is how many people who had that, that same response to the whale liked to share the, the, what I wrote. And, and that, that felt really good to realize that, oh, I'm not alone in that feeling. And I've made people feel less alone in that feeling. That's worth doing. It absolutely is. And one of the ways I can think of that you did that in your essay that you wrote, you wrote, if I saw this referring to uh, the play that you had seen of the whale, if I saw this, I would want to say to the character, buddy, let me get you on some Facebook groups. I can find <laughs> you 10 guys who would move to Idaho to feel you on top of them every night. It's a yeah. whole new world. Yep. That line, so, okay. Um, the there's a, there's a certain ideology in our minds um, propagated by the very problematic RuPaul of, you know, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love anybody else? Like, or love yourself first. And I'm just like, uh, I can't, sorry. Like, I can't. I mean, it's and not that I don't love myself, but like, I think that, that we, we, we don't realize the power and force of all the things in the world that tell us not to love ourselves and all the things is only love yourself if you look this way. Mm. Only love yourself if you like, you know, and and again, that's something that's, it's about thinness, it's about whiteness, it's about, you know, ability, it's about so many things, you know. Um, and it took me, you know, I, a lot of people knock gay apps. I love them because mm. um, I think a, a lot of people were able to approach me maybe when they wouldn't in public and I was able to approach them and rejection on an app doesn't feel anywhere near as bad as rejection in a bar. Mm -hmm. So whatever, that's fine. Um, and I also eventually found some Facebook groups specifically that were like about, you know, admiring uh, like bears and fat men and where, you know, I could, you know, post a picture of myself and, and have, people who I would never have imagined approaching in a bar or in a club or anything talk about how hot I was. <sighs> and all of that has really created a gigantic shift in me over the past, I would say five years or so. Um, and to the point where, you know, I like, I, 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 had more and better sex at, at the age of 43, I'm oh, sorry, almost 43, 43 next week, than I did in the entire decade of my 20s. <sighs> because the entire decade of my 20s, I didn't have those things available to me to like help me understand that there were people who thought I was attractive. Um, I didn't feel comfortable fitting into the bear world. And I still have a lot of as a non-binary person, I still have a lot of uh, friction when I move through bare spaces and in bare communities because I think there's such a valorization of masculinity mm -hmm. that I am not into, um, either for myself or the people who I want to have sex with um, <laughs> or date. Um, and, um, and, and the 90s when I was a teenager was the dawn of the age of Abercrombie you know, which was like Abercrombie and Fitch, like 
really kind of putting out there that the only kind of beauty is white, muscular, hairless, chiseled, you know, all those things. And, and I, I saw the documentary on the recently and I, I'd always hated them and I always understood them as being deeply racist and fat phobic and so many other things. But I was like, God, I didn't realize just how, how strong a grip they had on so many people's brains, mm. you know? And I think that it's been like both the ways that social media and apps have allowed us to connect to people with the same desires that we have or people who desire us. Um, but then also, also body positivity also like, you know, I mean, they're like the past few years have seen kind of the rise of the dad bod as being like, you know, eroticized and, and, um, and, you know, I always say like, you know, I, Lizzo is doing so much amazing work that, you know, um, long may she reign. Um, like I went to a Lizzo concert and I was just like, I, I never would have expected all these like frat bros loving every second of what they're seeing, mm -hmm. you know, and, and her saying to them, like, you're like all of your big girls now. And uh, being, and all these frat bros being like, yeah. And I'm like, this, this, this doesn't feel, this feels, there's something radical happening here. And I can't quite put my finger on it, but I think it has to do with sort of like being able to say like, A, that, that there is power and beauty in being a big girl mm -hmm. that other people should want and should aspire to. Mm -hmm. And then also saying at the same time, like, for those of you trying to be a man and trying to be like um you know fit or whatever or thin or however you want to call it you know like you don't you can let go of that if you want to <laughs> even mm -hmm. if only for the duration of this lizzo concert and you can embrace something else um i think that there is that power there well i actually i have more questions to ask you and they only piled up during this conversation. I was like, oh, I want to talk to them about this. But we've run out the clock. So I just I wanted to see if there was anything that you wanted to sort of share that we haven't touched on yet before we wrap up. I think we got to everything. I think I'll just close by saying hey, don't see don't see the whale. <laughs> um, but also, um, you know, there's that, you know, if you're listening to this and you know, you aren't in that place of, of loving your body or if you want to see more work by um, amazing, like, fat activists and artists, you know, they're out there. They're, um, you know, like, I, I keep on wanting someone to produce this play, Yermo, that my friend Jesus Valles wrote, which is all about being queer and fat and Mexican and, it's, and having it be powerful and revelatory and sexy rather than... And... and on an almost apocalyptic level, um, <laughs> rather than all these other things, you know, like the, the degraded or or shameful or anything like that, you know, and and I really that seek out the work of fat artists, fat writers, fat uh, musicians, um, because um, we're doing it. Oh, and I want to mention before I forget, there will be a link to your website on the episode page and yeah. on that in your director's reel you have there's this beautiful clip of some aerial work which i know very little about except that it's so pretty 
Mm-hmm. Um, so anyone who wants to see that, that's right there. Yep. And also, yeah, like if, if seek out, like, um, there's a lot of, of places out, there's a lot of aerial places out there that I think are very welcoming mm-hmm. to fat people. And if they're not call them out on it and, um, and find one that is, um, and, uh, and also if any of you out there are looking for a director for a show, hit me up. Rudy, thank you so much for joining us. It's so nice to talk with you. Thank you, Quinn. Thanks so much for joining us. Our music is by the radiant Dawn and Jen. We post new episodes every other Monday, and you can find us online at allthegenders.com and on Instagram at allthegenderspodcast. Thank you.